25 years, but I do want to say I myself, in the last three years, I've never seen people so discouraged. So much chaos, so much confusion, people on emotional roller coasters, and people with short fuses, and anger quickly, and, and all kinds of things that come against people, everybody. There's not exemptions. All of us are going through things. It's like we're in a pressure cooker now, every single one of us. And we're being challenged, and we're being tested, and we're being tried. And I know that God is for us, and God's not against us, and God's on our side. So we're going to make it through. What we need is a breakthrough. And uh, the Lord spoke to me, and I said, Randy, when you get to the pulpit night, I want you to stand in that pulpit, and I want you to declare to my people God says, I got a breakthrough for you. Yeah. It's time, church. It's a new season. Things have changed. Things are shifting. It's been tough, and it's been hard. But we, as a body of Christ, we got to pull it together. And God can help us do this. And God's going to see this through. So I want to begin with going to 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, is where I want to read first. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And the scripture says, then David spoke. Some interpretations say that David sang to the Lord the words of this song. On the day the Lord delivered him from the hands of all, say all, all of his enemies and from the hands of Saul. And then verse 2 through 51 contain the words of this song that David spoke in giving thanks to God for his deliverance from all of his enemies. David had finally had his breakthrough, and tonight I want to talk about the breakthrough for you. Father, I come to you right now in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I have obeyed your word, God. I have declared what you've called me to declare, God. And Father, tonight we're expecting something to happen in this place. In our lives, God, something to change, God, that, Father, you're going to show up and you're going to intervene in the lives of your people, God. We believe we're in a new season, God. We believe we're in that turning point. And, God, we're so thankful you're on our side, that we have you, God, that's going to defend us, God, you that's going to take care of us. You have been a provider for us, God. You've kept us through all this. And, God, you're taking us somewhere where we've never been before. And tonight, God, together we say thank you, God, for your goodness and for your mercy and everybody that agrees, say amen. amen. Praise the name of the Lord. There are some who need to break through some situations in your life. You've endured your situations for so long, you even fear you're not going to break through, but maybe you might even have a breakdown. Some have even decided to just believe it's just what it is. It's just the hand I've been dealt by my life. And even feel that God refuses to change your situation. You prayed and you prayed about it, wanting it to change. You know, we spend most of our time praying for God to change our situations. More so than ever praying, God, change me in my situations. Change my attitude about my situation, Lord. Never admitting or recognizing I may have created my situation by my actions or by my behavior or by my attitude. Breakthrough means an offensive thrust that penetrates and carries beyond a defensive line in warfare. Breakthrough also means an act or instance of breaking through an obstacle. This passage of scripture speaks of when David had just had a breakthrough with his enemies and with Saul. Breakthrough also means a sudden advance. He's talking about, you know, when nothing's happening, nothing's changing, it seems like nothing's ever gonna be any different than just suddenly. 
How many are ready for a sudden breakthrough with your enemies? Where suddenly once what held you captive is defeated, where the obstacle is removed, you're free from it all at last. That thing that's kept you up at night, that thing that's kept you worried, that thing that's caused you to walk the floors, that it's just suddenly is gone. Let me tell you, there are so many people in these trying times, if they don't have a breakthrough soon, they're going to have a breakdown soon. And too many people don't believe they have a say-so in which way it's going to go. Well, I've come to remind you, oh, yes, you do, by the power that worketh in you. Hallelujah. See, too many people don't know how to work the power in you. There is life and death in your tongue, blessing and cursing. What are you speaking about your situation? What are you speaking about your condition? What are you speaking to your situation? Are you speaking, it's all my fault, nobody cares, it's always going to be like this, there's no use even living? If you continue that behavior and pronouncing those things, can I tell you, you're going to have a breakdown soon. Instead of declaring with your tongue, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. The greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Hallelujah. I want to take you to John chapter 5 for a quick moment tonight. I wanted to show you an example of a man who needed a breakthrough but was having a breakdown had not Jesus showed up. And the scripture reads like this, 5 verse 1. There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which is called Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. They were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed. They were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for three days. No, that's not what it says. It says he had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water stirred up while I'm coming, another one steps before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. At Jesus' command, this man's situation, this man's condition suddenly advanced. His obstacle was removed. He had a breakthrough. I'd like for you tonight, if you would, if you have a need in this place, something that you wish God would intervene in your life, change the situation, remove an obstacle, or something in your life, if you have a need, would you do that signifying by the raising of your hand? All over this place, we all have needs. We all have things that we need God to intervene in. As we dig into this account, this story ought to encourage anyone who has a need for a breakthrough tonight. This man was an invalid. The subject of the story had infirmity in his life. One that left him feeling defeated and bound by his conditions physically and mentally he had resided to defeat. Believed nothing was going to change and it hadn't for 38 years. Could his attitude towards his situation played a part in the delay? We'll find out. In this passage, we're going to see a man who needed God to do something in his life. And we're going to see the importance of being in the right place at the right time. How many know that God has places, ordained places? and moments planned for his people, just as he did throughout the Old and the New Testament, where he met and he showed up for the people. He does this because he says it's a desire to show himself strong on your behalf. That statement is validated by Scripture, which declares the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. 
He guides our steps in order to position us for moments and meetings with him, experiences and encounters that change our lives. Tonight, you're not here by accident. Tonight, this is by divine appointment. God has a certain time schedule to meet with us. God has a schedule because he has a plan. God is a strategic God. According to Jeremiah 1, God had a plan for us before we were formed in our mother's womb. So in other words, every single one of us, God had a plan and a purpose for our lives. And it didn't include us being defeated, beat down, being bound, and having a breakdown. Christ came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Now, unbeknownst to the man in the story, that day, like so many others, little did he know he would meet with Jesus at this certain place. That's the way a lot of us approach our days. Never really considered that today, today, maybe I could have a meeting with Jesus. Even when our day includes coming to church, folks, coming in here on Sundays with no expectation of having an encounter with God. For many, it's too often more of a ritualistic pattern of coming in here week after week and leaving like you came in oppressed, depressed, afflicted, beat down, tired, etc., etc. Leave here with your uncomfortable conditions and situations that remain and even tend to grow worse. You're acting just like this man laying beside the pool of Bethesda. You're watching others get blessed, touched, healed, while your condition you feel is unrepairable or greater than most. Meeting with Christ today was not on his schedule, but it was on Christ's schedule. Jesus is on his way to a festival, but is compelled to stop by this place where the sick, the lame, the blind, and the paralyzed lay. These people would gather there knowing there was a possibility at a certain time when the angel would stir the water they could possibly heal. They were there because they had an expectation. Yet this man in our story, although was there also too, but he didn't have an expectation anymore of, of ever getting healed because he'd been in his condition so long, he thought it was impossible due to the longevity of his affliction. Others who were there, although sick, blind, or even lame or paralyzed, could still move enough to get in the water or had someone to help them get in. This man could not move on his own. He had no one to help him, so he felt God couldn't touch him, could touch everyone but him. He could spectate, but he could never participate. And that still happens today in our very services. People sit in here in their conditions and situations and believe God can do this for everyone but them. They have no expectation and tend to believe their conditions is too big for God. And they just sit back and watch everybody get touched but them. But deep down inside, they long to be touched. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition a long time, he asked him, do you want to become well? And the man replied, sir, I have no man to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. He immediately revealed his excuses. Now, I need to stop right here to make the most important point of the night and reveal to you, your breakthrough begins for you when your excuses end. When you quit depending totally on man, and begin to totally rely on God, your situations and your conditions can change. You can be changed in your conditions, for it's only with God are all things possible. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in the right place at the right time. Matter of fact, it's a certain time. Your time for a breakthrough in this place right here, right now. You know what doesn't make sense to me? It's how people will come to church regularly and have no desire or intention to change anything about their lives, 
based upon what they've heard or experienced or learned that day. I mean, preachers can preach their guts out. And people hear what they're saying, sharing the promises of God with you, encouraging your faith. We share biblical principles that will help change your lives. We share faith that will strengthen your lives. We share hope to encourage your lives. Yet they want only for their circumstances to change, but they're not willing to change. I'm sure dynamite wouldn't move them to change. And too many walk in with boundaries set. I'll go this far and not a step further. Oh, but we want God to change our circumstances and our situations. We don't mind if he does. If he changes a spouse who's acting up, or if he changes a child that's been rebelling, or if he changes an unfair boss. Most people love the idea of God changing their circumstances or even changing others more than God changing them. Let me say something. Every single one of us has conditions of some kind, whether they're physical, mental, spiritual, emotional in our lives, if we'd all be honest. The thing about spiritual and emotional conditions, we're good about hiding them. A survey was done asking people, what's the biggest need in your life? You need God to change. They said the survey showed 99% of the people all said they need God to change a circumstance in their lives. Some needed God to change their marriage. Some needed God to change their child who's out of control. Some needed a breakthrough with a situation at the factory. Do you know what was not said? What was lacking? Someone saying, I need God to change me. No one said, I'm selfish. I'm self-righteous. I'm a gossiper. I struggle with sin. I need God to set me free. No one asked God to change them, only their situations. You want to know what really would start revival in our land? When people begin to ask God to change them. When people would ask God to create in them a clean heart with clean hands and renew in them a right spirit. I realize I need to get me right before I can get things right. Start with me, God. I need a breakthrough. I can't help my marriage until I get right. It's not all her fault. I can't help my kids until I get right. This is where we got to come to, to have these breakthroughs that we need in our lives. In verse 2, Jesus makes a detour on the way to the festival. Jesus is always more interested in hurting people more than a festival. Of all the people who were there at Bethesda, it said it was a great multitude. But Jesus is focused on this one man with the worst possible condition, the one who was bound by his condition, hindered all alone, who had no help. You see, Jesus is our very present help in times of trouble. And Jesus walks up to this man at that place at a certain time. May I tell you tonight is a certain time. And certain means guaranteed time. That God operates in a certain time. That you can count on him. If he said it, he meant it. He said, I'll stick closer to you than a brother, and he will. You can be certain of that. He said, he is the Lord God that healed thee, and he is. You can be certain of that. He said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, and he won't. You can be certain of that. This man had no expectation at that day that his life was going to be any different after all he'd been this way for 38 years. But Jesus sees him in his condition, and he proceeds to ask him, do you want to be made well? Now, I'd like to pass that question on to every one of you tonight. Do you want to be made well? We're now fixed to learn where breakthrough begins. He asked him, do you want to be made well? He didn't ask him, do you want to feel better? There's a big difference between feeling better and being made well. That's what the pool represented for this man. It was just a place to hang out with others, 
with similar disabilities and conditions, therefore making you feel better about your own dysfunction. It makes you feel better to know you're not the only one. They say birds of a feather flock together. Their disabilities make you feel better about yours. We're all in the same boat. So just preach us a feel-good message. Just make us feel better, preacher. So we just hang out by the pool. It's been this way so long. I have no hope of, it ever, of ever being made well. I just need to feel better about my condition, my situation. But on verse 3, we read about this place called Bethesda. It means house of mercy. It had five porches, and five is the number of grace. So it's to say in chapter 5, at this certain place, God showed his grace and mercy. People came to this place for a reason, which we find in verse 4, because an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred the water. Is that not what we pray all the time when we're in our situations? We need God to come down, please. It goes on to say when the angel came down and stirred the water, the first person to get in was healed whatever disease they had, putting this man who was an invalid at a disadvantage. That's not how it works with Jesus. He's not a respecter of persons. That's how religion works. First one in wins. The person with the most titles, the most knowledge, the perfect church attender. But that's not how grace works. This is what grace does. Jesus walked up to one who would have been the last one in line, saying to him, today I'm making you first. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And too many are sitting in grave situations think you are the least of everyone. But can I tell you, God's got his eyes on you tonight. He knows right where you are. He knows how long you've been there. God says, I came by tonight to meet you at a certain place, this place, at a certain time, right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm here to ask you, do you want to meet me well? Not just better, but well. If you need something from God, guess what? You're in the right place at the right time. This is the place for revival, for breakthrough to happen. We've got people in such desperate situations that are begging God to come down. And I've come to tell you that's not the way to get something from your Heavenly Father. You don't have to beg Him. You just have to have faith in Him. You don't have to beg Him for what He died for to give you, to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. The man had his reasons for why he believed he couldn't receive. When Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He replied in 5, 7, sir, I have no man to help me. Isn't it crazy how we can be in the presence of an unlimited God and yet we get stuck in our condition? We look towards man to help us instead of God. Now, everything the man said was true. It was a fact. But little did he know faith has the ability to override facts. He started to explain to Jesus, here's the way things work around here. Every time the angel stirs the water before I can get someone, get in, someone goes ahead of me. What he wasn't getting, Jesus was trying to tell him, I saw you couldn't get to the water, so I've come by to bring the water to you. This is how God's grace works. When you can't get to him, he can get to you. Hallelujah. Breakthrough begins when my excuses end. When I can't, I can't becomes, I can, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's then that hope is birthed. Hallelujah. After hearing all the man's reasons, which all of them revolved around people, they won't help me. They go ahead of me. They, they, they. In other words, it's everybody else's fault. Jesus here in his excuses tells him in verse 8, rise up. 
rise up. Now, could it be possible, this is just a question I have, that while you're waiting for God to come down, God is waiting for you to rise up. Maybe breakthrough doesn't begin till you're willing to rise up. Until you decide, I'm not blaming no one else anymore. I'm not blaming mama. I'm not blaming daddy. I'm not blaming my teacher. I'm not blaming the preacher. I'm not blaming my boss. I'm not blaming my ex. I'm rising up and just simply asking God to change me, to do a work in me. This is the place where breakthrough begins. You can meet Jesus tonight right here, right now. The question is, will you rise up? Will you pick up your mat, your conditions, and come and lay it down right here tonight? So many people are overwhelmed by their situations. You've fought for so long. You're so tired. It's been one thing after another. You've had so much stuff come against you. You bought into it. It's never going to change. Come on, be honest. Well, let me show you something going back to my opening scripture. David has probably fought more enemies than anyone else in the Bible and anyone in this room. That man, from the beginning of his calling, fought battle after battle. He faced so many obstacles before he ever became king. But you need to see what's going on here in David's life finally. He finally got a breakthrough. He fought his last battle, and finally he reached his promise. To sit on the throne as king of Israel. But had he not been willing to fight, he never would have made it. Had it not been for God on his side, he never would have made it. And here in this passage, it's finally a day of celebration because he declares God has defeated all of his enemies. Are you ready for God to defeat your enemies? Are you ready to be made well tonight? It says, and David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day of the Lord had delivered him from the hands of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, what's taking place here is a celebration. It's a day of breakthrough for David and the people of Israel. So many times David felt he was going to have a breakdown because he had felt fought for so long. But finally, after a long time and after a lot of enemies, according to 2 Samuel 5, 20, 20 David defeated the Philistines at a certain place at a certain time. He named the place Bel-Perazim. The name meant master of breaches, which is very significant. In 2 Samuel 5.20, it says, And David came to Belperazim, and David smote them there and said, The Lord had broken forth upon my enemies before me as the breaches of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Belperazim, which signifies the master of breaches, where the Philistines were broke in upon and broke into pieces, of which God was the author, which gave David the victory over his enemy. David was saying, God broke through and destroyed his enemies like a mighty force of water destroy a riverbank. It was with such a sudden force. He declared God went before him, making it possible for him to have victory over his enemies. David was rejoicing over the final defeat of his enemies and even mentioning the hand of Saul specifically being, on his, being one of his greatest enemies, triumphing over all his enemies and receiving his throne as the king. Finally, David had... Throughout the years, numerous enemies and battles. He fought the Philistines. He fought the Moabites. He fought the Syrians. He fought the Ammonites. He fought the Edomites. He fought every ite their ite was. So you can imagine the celebration he was having this day. And he began to sing the words of this song, giving God the master of the breaches, the master of the breakthrough, all glory for delivering him from all of his enemies. Here's what he sang, 2 Samuel 22. He sang, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
He sang, for by you I can run against a troop, and by God I can leap, leap over a wall. He sang, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. He sang, you have subdued under me those who rose against me. He sang, it is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers us from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. This was his victory song for the God of his breakthrough. And I'm here to tell those who fought and fought and battle after battle, the Lord on this day wants to go before you and defeat your enemies. He wants you to have a breakthrough. He wants to give you victory over your enemies. He wants you to sing a song of celebration. He wants to break through in your life like a mighty force of water breaks through a riverbank and floods your life with hope. Not to just to make you feel better, but to make you well again, free again, strong again, to make you alive again. A breakthrough. It's an offensive thrust that penetrates and carries you beyond a defensive line in warfare. It's an act or an instance of breaking through an obstacle. Anybody feel they got an obstacle in your way? I came to tell you tonight, God can remove them. A person's first notable desire, they really want a breakthrough, is when they rise up, regardless of their situation or conditions, and come and get it. See, for a lot of people, that's the first step of breakthrough. It's an offensive move. It's time to get off defense, church. Sitting there taking blow after blow, it's time to fight back with God on your side. How's that? By your actions of responding. Shows you're not willing to stay in your condition any longer. Enough is enough. When you sit there in your condition day after day, week after week, year after year, all people see is a defeated mentality. But when you begin to rise up and you take up your bed and walk, your actions portray your willingness to change. A breakdown is a failure to function. It's a failure to progress. You sit in misery. You make no effort to change. But know this tonight. Say tonight. God has places, and this is a place tonight where your breakthrough can begin. And your breakthrough begins when? When your excuses end. It's not about who caused it, whose fault it is, how long it's been, how many times you've been in prayer lines before, and nothing's changed. If you'll lay down your excuses, and with God's help, Rise up, pick up your bed, your conditions, and if you'll walk up here tonight and meet with God at this certain time and ask God to change you in spite of your conditions, when you change, your conditions will begin to change. So many people are in places they've never been in before. They're experiencing things they've never experienced before. Many feel isolated, all alone, helpless, in despair. Hopelessness is plaguing our nation. And let me be very frank, our community is not exempt. Within the last two weeks, we've had seven deaths due to murder and suicide in our community. It's not a time to talk about it in the sense as it's simply some news article. It's time to talk about it in the sense it's an urgent crisis that needs more than just talk. It needs action. We need a breakthrough. There are so many, regardless of age, race, gender, rich, poor, we feel hopelessness. There are people, these are people's sons and daughters, grandchildren, spouses, fathers, mothers, neighbors. People who feel that nobody has a clue where you're at, what you're going through. They feel they have no hope. And you're doing your best to hide your hurts and your feelings, to cover up your mistakes and your troubles. You're too embarrassed to talk to anyone about them. Your feelings are threatened with regrets 
repercussions, expulsion if you do. You believe if you were to do so, you'd appear weak and faithless and fearful, so you don't say anything. But can I tell you what you're going through is not hidden from everyone? Someone knows exactly how you feel. Someone knows exactly where you're at. And what you're going through and has promised he will never leave you or forsake you, that he will be your very present help in times of trouble. Your heavenly father was there when it happened to you and is there as it happens to you. He's all you need to get through what you're going through. He knows you so well. David explains what I'm saying to you in Psalms 139. He explains so well how well that God knows everything about you. He said in Psalms 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hear me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I sit on the far side of the area, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as a light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you before I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. And we think no one understands where we're at, what you're going through. You're the only one that feels that way. No one wants to help you, that you're on your own. No, sir, no, ma'am, you're not. God knows it all. Hallelujah. Someone's on the verge of a breakthrough. I know it in my spirit. But I also know someone's on the verge of a breakdown if you don't get a breakthrough. And God loves you enough tonight to speak to you right now, right here. To speak to our world in these uncertain times. So many say it looks like we're losing while our enemy's having a heyday. He's just wrecking havoc on our nation. Our economy is falling. Socialism's rising. Our children are under attack. Manhood's being fought. Our borders are failing. Wars and rumors of wars are happening. Political corruption is rising. Drugs are killing our children. Murder and suicides are on the rise. And I could go on and on and on. Demonic physical manifestations are even beginning to take place driven by evil spiritual influences. It's a battle between good and evil. It makes life appear as a chess game between two great opponents. And it's been very strategically played on earth's stage. It's the final showdown. It's the master of deception, Satan, versus God, the master of the universe. It's like a showdown of two chess masters. And we're just the pawns in this game. Life right now appears to many as you, you're facing your opponent. And you don't believe you have any moves left. You're at a place of defeat. You're considered surrendering. You're still beat down and so frustrated, you're ready to throw in the towel. You're waving your white flag. 
The pressure of life is overwhelming you. You see no way to win. Defeat appears unavoidable, and you got too much to lose. When comparing life to a chess game, chess is a very strategic game. It takes a lot of focus, decision-making, watching your opponent, strategizing their next move. It takes offensive and defensive moves. To so many, you're at a place the enemy is comfortable in making his last move and having the privilege of hollering checkmate and declaring the game over for you and hollering next. The enemy is confident he's winning. You even think he has. Now, if you know anything about the game of chess, you know it all comes down to when the king on either side can move no more. Once the opposing king is trapped, his opponent declares checkmate, signaling the game is over. Checkmate means to check a chess opponent's king so that escape is impossible. How do you checkmate someone? You know, I've never been a chess pl player. I always played checkers. Chess is always perceived as an intellectual's game. Us rednecks played checkers, ate moon pies, and drank RC colas. Now, I know I flew over the young people with them. Well, due to my recent study of chess, though, it's been revealed to me. You first have to force your enemy's king to the edge of the board. You have to force your opponent's king to one side or corner of the chessboard. You've got to trap him when he can no longer move. Well, I also stumbled across an interesting story when I was studying the other day that has to do with the game of chess. It was so fitting to help me make my analogy and my sermon point come to life right here. Tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians if they would come and why I tell this story. The story goes like this. There's a popular painting that once hung in Levere Museum. I don't know if I even say it right. It's L-O-U-V-R-E. It's in Paris. It's the most famous museum in the world. People come there from all over the world. It's where the Mona Lisa is. But there's this painting that was painted by Frederick Moritz August Retsch. The painting is popularly known as Checkmate. The painting is now privately owned after being sold in a Christie's auction in 1999. I have a picture of that painting, Josh. You got it up there? Wonderful. Thank you. The painting depicts two chess players. The one on my left is Satan, who appears arrogantly confident. The other is a man such as you or I who looks defeated. What's at stake in this match is Satan wins this game. He wins the man's soul. According to legend and probably fact, the story goes like this. Well, in this museum in Paris, they often gave tours. People would come from all over the world to see these valuable paintings the museum housed. Well, one day on a particular tour, there was a group of athletes and also including the group was the world chess champion. When they come to this painting, the tour guide explains, this is the artist's rendering of somebody who lost his battle with the devil. As the group proceeds to move on to the next painting, probably the Mona Lisa, the world-class chess champion remained. He simply stood staring and analyzing this painting. Soon the tour guide noticed he was missing from the group. 
So he rushes back to find him, and he found him. They're still staring at this painting. He approached him and said, sir, we're moving on. Are you going to proceed with us? He replied, well, I've been standing here studying this picture. The guide said, yeah, it's called Checkmate. The devil's laughing at the man who's in despair of being defeated. And the chess player said, I understand that. I see how that appears to be so. But while I'm standing here and studying it, I see a problem with this picture. And the guy says, what do you mean? He said, well, you know I'm a world-class champion chess player, and I spend my life playing chess. And normal people don't always see what a champion chess player sees. So when you all walked off after glancing at the picture, I remained and I looked at the devil laughing, and I looked at the man in despair. And I couldn't help but notice something on the chessboard, though. And he proceeded to say, either they're going to have to change the painting, or they're going to have to change the name of it. And the guide asked, why is that? He said, well, you know, I'm a world-class champion chess player. When I observed the board, I found the game's not over yet. I seen that the man in his despair, the man in despair's king still had one more move. And I come tonight to tell someone that believes that the enemy has defeated you and that the game is over and that you're a loser and you feel like you've been cornered and you got no more hope your king still has one more move. He's still got one more move in your finances. He's still got one more move in your marriage. He's still got one more move in your health. He's still got one more move in your children. And I come to tell America, he's still got one more move in America. Would you stand to your feet and give God praise? We are not defeated yet. Our God still got one more move. Lift up your head, O daughter of Zion. We're fixing to have a breakthrough. The master of the preachers is fixing to suddenly break through for you. If you're here tonight, I want you to begin to move to this altar. You say, I God, I need something removed. I need something taken out of the way. I need a breakthrough. I need to get through what I'm going through. God, I need you to show yourself strong on my behalf. If you have a condition, if you have a situation, tonight is a night of a breakthrough for you because the master of breaches is here. Would you come? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God still got one more move for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.